Uh, before I came here, I served a little church and um, far fewer people than this. Uh, and it was my habit to preach from the pulpit. And I thought, well, I'll try it down in the aisle uh, a time or two. And I did that for a few weeks. And uh, then I said, well, I'll go back to the pulpit. And the people said, no, we want you down here. And so that's my habit. So thank you for accommodating me. I think that one of uh, life's many blessings is a good conversation. I bet you can think of many. Think of, of some conversations that you especially treasure, that changed your life, or that gave you a word you really needed to hear at a certain time, maybe you didn't want to hear. I bet you can think of many. I can think of one among many that I treasure. It was my first conversation with my wife, Beth. It lasted about 15 seconds <laughs> due to circumstances. But it was enough for each of us to know we wanted to have another conversation. And many, many years later, we're still having them and enjoying them. Conversation is an art. For some people, it's a gift. I think they're in the minority. I think for most of us, it takes a little bit of an effort. And it's always worth it. It causes us to be vulnerable. The essence of a conversation is one person's spirit connecting with another person's spirit. I was uh, in one of my favorite coffee shops once, and I was by myself enjoying my large dark roast with espresso shot, and the table I was at had a glass top, and the manager had slid a little pamphlet under there, and the title of the pamphlet was, How to Have a Conversation. And I thought, well, that's interesting, and there were so several items, little bullet points, they were painfully obvious but helpful to remember. One of them, I think, was uh, remember that there's another person at the table and actually look at them. Oh, hello. <laughs> Ask them open-ended questions. Follow up on their answers. Find a topic that interests you. And don't dwell on the weather. Jesus models for us a really good, deep spiritual conversation in today's gospel passage. And it's helpful for us to look at the context a little bit because it provides an important background. We're in Samaria. And when we think of Samaria, we think, oh, the Good Samaritan. Everybody in Samaria is going to be nice. Well, in fact, that wasn't the case. I mean, there may have been nice people, but in fact, there was a great deal of conflict between the Jews who lived in Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem in the southern part of the Holy Land, and the Samaritans who lived right in the middle. And then in the northern part was Galilee, uh, where Jesus was headed. But what had happened was, 750 years before Jesus came along, the area that 
came to be known as Samaria in his time had been conquered by the Assyrians. And they had brought a lot of foreign people into the area. And consequently, the ethnic and racial mix of Samaria had changed greatly. And the Jews saw that as the people there turning their backs on God and their heritage. In fact, there was some religious adaptation on the part of the Samaritans. They still considered themselves children of God. They had, for example, rejected some of the uh, Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. They held to the first five books, but not the rest. And so for all these reasons, there was uh, a rivalry. In fact, the Sumerians had even set up a new temple in a place called Mount Gerizim, which is near where this conversation took place. By the way, this is a real place. There really is a well there. And there was a lot of contempt, a mutual contempt between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, sadly, we can see it today. Division and conflict in the church leading to resentment and um, separateness. So Samaria is a place that's avoided by Jews. If a Jew needs to go from Judea to Galilee, they're going to take a long, circuitous route up around to the east. It doubles the length of the trip, but that's how they avoided going through Samaria where they knew they would be subjected to hostility. And that's exactly where Jesus chooses to go. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? And there he meets a woman. She is unnamed. I wonder if that's intentional on John's part. Because, to my mind, she is a representative of all humanity. A representative of us. We can easily enter this story in her place. She is alone. That's poignant too. No friends, no neighbors, no family. She's come to the well by herself. And there's another important detail. We hear that it's the sixth hour. Now, by Jewish reckoning, the sixth hour is 12 noon. Now, wouldn't you think most people, if they want to go to the well for water, would go early in the morning to get the water they would need for the day? Or maybe in the evening to resupply or to water livestock. She's there at 12 noon by herself, and apparently there's not much of anybody else around. And so they begin their conversation. And it's a long and rich one. And right in the middle, Jesus asks her to go and bring her husband. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus commends her for answering truthfully. He says, in fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. That means she would be a social outcast. In her community, she would be ostracized for her living arrangement. So she's a woman, and even though it wasn't right, women were not valued in Jesus' time and place, except by Jesus. She's a Samaritan, and to a good Jew, a Samaritan is someone to be avoided. And she's a social outcast. And she is the person 
whom Jesus chooses to engage. I wonder if you can see her in your mind's eye. I see her. She's probably an older woman, after all, five husbands. And probably the circumstances and the difficulties of her life have drawn some lines in her face. She may even have a stooped posture as a result of the difficulties that she has endured. And she is a person who probably is lacking in hope, and that probably shows in her face and in her eyes. This is the one Jesus is eager to engage. And they have this wonderful conversation. It begins, the first half of it is about living water. That's a whole sermon in itself, but I want to look at the second part, which is about worship. Jesus says these words to her, which are familiar to us. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, let's look at the first part. God is spirit. What does that mean? We all know that. That's We know that God is spirit. The woman at the well would have known that God is spirit, but it's kind of hard to understand and hard to describe. Maybe we describe it by what it's not. God is not material. God is not bound in space and a body and time as we are. God is not temporary, but eternal. God is deeper than us. God is creative and powerful. In fact, God is the creative force behind everything. And all of this would come to mind as Jesus says to her, God is spirit. John will say in one of his letters that the essence of God is love. And we know that it's also goodness. His Spirit, God's Spirit, through Jesus, is calling this woman's Spirit, and she is willing to respond. God's Spirit calls our spirits, too. That's why we're here today. That's the real reason. We may say, well, I'm here today because this is my church, or I'm here today because this is my habit. Or I just have some vague need that, uh, or sense that, that this is a good place to be. Or maybe I'm here because my spouse wants me here. And all those are valid reasons. But the real reason is that God's Spirit calls our spirit. We are spiritual too. And what we're doing in worship is answering the call of His Spirit. That's the essence of worship. But there's a problem for the Samaritan woman. Where are we going to worship? She brings up this history of conflict and rivalry between Samaria and the Jews. You say we're supposed to worship. She knows he's a Jew. You say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We say we worship here at Mount Gerizim. And all that feud and all that conflict is brought up again. 
Jesus removes the barrier. He says to her in so many words, the place of worship is not the essence. That is a timeless message, maybe especially helpful today. The place of worship is not the essence. The essence is to worship in spirit and in truth. The prior divisions and conflicts will cease. All will be welcome in the kingdom of God. Jesus is demonstrating that by his embrace of this woman. The sacrificial system that's in place in Jerusalem will be replaced by the sacrifice of Jesus himself. It will be no longer necessary. That's what Jesus means when he says we'll no longer worship either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Can you see the hope coming back in her eyes? She says, I know Messiah will come. And Jesus says to her in the plainest possible terms, I am He. We worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. We are spirit. And Jesus is truth. It's easier for Jesus to identify himself in plain terms in Samaria. They don't have the same kind of vested interest. There were no Pharisees watching over his shoulder in Samaria. It's not likely to start a fight as it would in Judea or Galilee. But Jesus reveals himself not only in words, but in spirit. He reveals the character and the heart of God to this woman. He is compassionate toward her. He is not interested in judging her. He's interested in drawing her to him. He may be the first compassionate person she's encountered in a long time. He is a breaker of barriers. It does not matter to him that she's a woman. It does not matter to him that she's a Samaritan. It does not matter to him that she is a social outcast. He is a breaker of barriers. He is the truth about God. And so, what will be the effect of this conversation? What's the value of this conversation? Well, it will bring about reconciliation first. The woman will be reconciled to her God. The woman will be reconciled to her village because she'll go and witness to them. They'll see her in a new way. If they care to participate in it, the followers of Jesus who previously thought of themselves as Jews or Samaritans will also be reconciled. And if we care to participate in it, our own communities and indeed the world can be reconciled to God and to one another. There'll be a new focus of worship, God revealed in Jesus. There'll be a new identity for the children of God. We'll read about this in the New Testament. We'll no longer think of ourselves as Jews or Greeks, men and women. We'll have a new identity, one in Christ. As spirit calls to spirit, and a new truth is realized, sorrow and bitterness are replaced with hope. May we pray.